Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. This is the Massachusetts Performance Podcast, brought to you by Matthew Micheroni and Bobby Dattero. Hey guys, this is Mass Performance Podcast. Today we're going to talk about how do we warm up for specific lists. We understand a lot of times all of our listeners aren't specifically athletes, so they're not always doing speed, agility, or conditioning. Sometimes they'll just go into the gym and all they'll have are squats, deadlifts, bench press. So with that in mind, we really want to cover up how do we warm up for those big three lifts. But before we go into that, Bobby, catch us up with what's going on at Evolution. Well, we're working on a couple things. We also are approaching a sports season, so we're doing a a lot of – Doing a lot of testing right now before athletes go into the spring season, um, which will also mean we're going to lose a bunch of people, but we'll also get an influx of some new people that um, played a winter sport or um, are going to be here for the spring. So we're, we're, we're almost in a transition time. We've got like two more weeks of like all our winter people wrapping up and then the new wave of people coming after that. That sounds good. I'd say, like, even here in the collegiate setting, we've kind of man, had a lot of time off because uh, depending on where your school you're at or what sports are, like, predominant at that school, we have a lot of winter sports and a lot of, uh, like, our some of our bigger sports are winter sports that transcend season, like men's, women's basketball, uh, wrestling, lacrosse is in season right now. So because of that, we get a nice, like, two, three-hour break midday, but we're kind of in the same boat as you. Right after in about three weeks, it's going to really pick up where uh, a lot of these teams are coming into their off-season. So we'll have, out of the 11 teams we have, all 11 will be in the off-season. So it's going to be a little crazy. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, it's like the calm before the storm. Like my boss was telling me, the month of April is unsustainable, but it's only one month, so we'll figure it out. Yeah, it's like our summer. It's like 10 weeks of hell, but after that it dies in September anyway. So Yeah, it's one of those things where you're probably like, you enjoy being busy, but at the same time, it's that mental break for a couple of weeks probably feels nice. Yeah, until the bank account starts getting low, and then we have to figure out what to do next. <laughs> it's an ongoing cycle. All right, so before we get into that warm-up for squats, let's talk about some of the stuff we've seen on the Internet, specifically Twitter. It's a great, uh, it's a great tool to not so much comment for us, because I don't want to get involved, but to uh, see what other people are thinking. So, like, a big discussion this last week, I think we pointed out, is a lot of strength coaches were arguing about squats. Uh, so I want to get your pretty much your opinion on this. So I didn't really brief Bobby, so this is going to be his raw answer. answer. There's two coaches going back and forth, and, you know, one is famously against squatting, and he made some really great points. There's a couple that said anything you can do with a bilateral, uh, bilateral squat can be safely and more efficiently achieved with a unilateral 
squat. An example is, you know, he was using RFEs, split squats, safety bar split squats, hat field split squats. So I want to know, what do you think about that? Yeah, so I don't really um, – I don't get to, like, one side of the argument or not. I use squats with most of my athletes, and I'm also pretty quick to just get rid of them completely if I need to. If that athlete over time has displayed that either, um, you know, their movement doesn't really dictate, you know, um, they're not going to be here at a frequency that really helps us, or if their back used to flare up during squats, I'm pretty quick to get rid of them completely and just go with a, a heavier loaded single leg exercise. But at the same time, all my athletes start with a squat until they, until something determines that they shouldn't. Um, and it seems to work. It seems to work for us because we are getting a younger athlete. We're getting, um, a more raw athlete. So they need just like a basic foundation of movement before they even like lift. Cause a lot of kids come to us and they're completely raw and whether or not we're like this, like for them, for those types of people, it's not a debate of like, Oh, is the is the squat the best exercise they should be doing? It's like they haven't even earned the right to have that debate yet. They're too new, too raw, too young. So I start everyone with the squat pattern until uh, until there's a reason to take it away. All right. Yeah, I completely agree. Before I give my answer, I just want to uh, back that up, and I want to say I think when people think of uh, unilateral squatting, they actually they get it wrong a bit because if you really look at it, the, a true unilateral squat only really occurs when you do a single leg squat or a pistol squat or a skater squat, right? I mean, and those are extremely hard in themselves and probably very beneficial. But I think I want to really dispel this notion that split squats, RFEs, hat field split squats are unilateral squats in nature because at the end of the day, they're not. Uh, when you really think about it, it's really a bilateral movement with a change in foot position that alters the pressure and uh, pretty, not that alters the pressure and like movement percentage that comes from one leg. All I'm saying is an example is a split squat, but it's still a bilateral squat. You have two points of contact, both feet are on the ground, but now you might be applying more pressure with one leg. So instead of that close to 50-50 split you get in that back squat or front squat, you're now maybe getting like a 60-40, 70-30, but that back leg is still assisting and it allows you to artificially drive up the load due to its stability and assistance helping out that other leg. And uh, that's what I think people miss a lot on those squats. Like, I think, yes, you can probably, if you have someone with back pain or injury history, you don't need a squat. But I, do I know if those adaptations that you can garner from the squat, like bone callusing, uh, muscle tissue growth, tendon growth, time under tension, and all these things, that hormonal response that happens with a heavy load on a regular bilateral squat, do I know if it's exactly the same in a true split squat, for example, a true single leg squat, like a single leg squat from box? or a skater squat? I don't think so, because I think you have to apply an external stimulus that's great enough for the body to cause it to adapt. But I think you could still, at some level, get some of those adaptations, whether they're as greater or equal to a regular squat. I don't know. A regular foot parallel squat? I'm not sure. And uh, I feel like that's where I stand. But it really, it's a pet peeve of mine when people always, like, consume that an RFE is a single leg squat or, uh, you know, the half-field safety bar split squat isn't. I was like, it's really just a bilateral squat with a staggered stance foot position. How do you feel about that? No, I agree with you. And I remember reading um, reading a book, and 
one of the guys went into detail about that, and I don't, I don't want to name names because we're not naming names in this, but um, he actually made a very, very good point that, you know, a true single leg squat is something when you're standing on one leg. If you're not standing on that one leg, it's not truly single leg because it can't be absent of the other leg's influence. Yeah. Um, I've also seen that same coach kind of contradict that statement uh, in social media, so that's why I don't want to name. But um, I like that premise. I mean, there's definitely a very, very big difference of someone doing a single leg squat to a box and someone doing a split squat with dumbbells. they're, They're very, very different. And I like to, um, I almost like to consider them their own categories in a way. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I definitely think there is. Like, my argument to people was, you know, if you really want to kind of bridge that gap between, like, a single leg squat, a true single leg squat, and uh, a bilateral squat, like we, our conventional back squat, I think one of the main movements you can do is you got to, like, the only way to bridge that gap is if you want to explore that external stimulus, I think you have to, the only thing I could come up with when they were discussing it in my head was, I think the only thing that really bridges the gap is a reverse lunge, a barbell reverse lunge, because you have that axial load, but you do have that moment of true unilateral support as you're moving back, and then you achieve it, and I was like, that support on the back when you put your foot down, does it let you lift more weight? Yes, but I was like, I feel like that lunge is the true gap between a true, like, regular squat, like we think of, like, feet hip to shoulder width, toes forward, toes out, and uh, a unilateral squat, the true ones, like single leg squat, two box, front box, or a skater squat. Well, you can also get, I mean, this only like acts concentrically, but you can also do like a, a reverse lunge to a balance or even like a box step up where you drive the back leg through yeah. and you get that concentric single leg um, adaptation, but it's not a full, you know, the full, um, the full range of muscle contraction. Yeah, I see, I agree. I just feel like, you know what, that needed to be dispelled. A lot of times what people think are truly unilateral squats are actually bilateral with different foot positions. But uh, the next part of that argument is some people will inherently say it was dangerous. Uh, how do you feel about that? They're saying squatting is dangerous, the low back's not made to tolerate load, compression, shear, or torque, and you're putting it at high risk doing that. How do you feel? Uh, okay, so this this is where individuals come into play because that – idea assumes that the person doing it is highly trained because the loads they're using are going to be substantial or significant. Um, so like today, I might, depending on what my, what my client list looks like, I might not see anyone that can squat more than 185 pounds in the building. So that level of strength isn't the same as like someone squatting 400 pounds. Um, and with that, we then have to, one, one thing, one thing that, that does kind of bother me is, is this athlete going to be expected to back squat? Do they play high school sports and they test the back squat? Do they play like at a low level division three where the strength coach might not be full time or might not actually be even a qualified person? And are they going to be tested on, on a bilateral squat? If they're going to be tested on it or they're going to be expected to do it outside of us, then we kind of have a responsibility to at least prepare them for the movement. No, do we need to get them squatting 350 pounds? Absolutely not. But, um, 
I don't think the back squat is inherently bad. I think it's bad for certain people. And I think um, there are a lot of people that would actually benefit from not back squatting. But uh, I don't like making any global claims because yeah. the the 13-year-old that comes in today and squats a kettlebell, he's going to be fine. Oh, well, we're not talking about, like, you know, a kettlebell squat. Well, you know what? You didn't say that. So there's always a, there's always a technicality on everything. Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm under the assumption that Everyone can and should squat, but whether they do or not is independent. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I have some private training clients and they don't really want to squat, should they squat? Yeah, it's a primal movement pattern, but if they don't want to, I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? They're paying me, uh, and it's not that big of a staple in my private programming. But meanwhile, in the cleavage sector, I think uh, squatting is a great movement. I feel like it demonstrates the ability and it has such a high movement threshold where uh, it's actually probably one of the safest movements I think you can do. When you look at other stuff you'll do in weight room, clean, snatch, a lot of technical aspects to those lifts. Uh, the squat and the RDL both have technical aspects, but it's a lower training age. You can implement it. I think a lot of times when they make that argument how it's unsafe, it more runs into the teachings of the coach. I think, uh, and not to say I teach it perfect, and there's probably millions of people who teach it better than me. I think a lot of times what happens is with those lifts, they become ego lifts where – you know, it's such a, it's an easy way to quantitate, is your program coming better? Are you getting higher? Where, like, you know, you let your athlete miss once, but you let them go for it again. Uh, they're missing, like, when they're in a fives block or the second week of their card, not when they're doing a heavy set of fives. And it's, uh, they don't fail with grace, like I always say. Like, if you, if you miss a rep, sometimes it's going to happen. But a lot of times I feel like if you monitor the load, live within your biomechanical means, so whatever your uh, natural depth is, right, if you're a thighs parallel, butt to calf, maybe USAPL powerlifting standard, so like hip below knee crease, uh, knee below, uh, hip, knee above hip crease, or whatever it is, you know what I'm talking about, guys. Uh, and you tolerate what your body can have with a slow progression that allows for ups and downs, like a little wave loading where, you know, you kind of build up, you get a new estimated area you work at, dump it back down, recover, and going forth. I think that's the easiest way to do it. I think what happens a lot is people get greedy. Where, you know, a squat is a high taxing movement too, and you'll see, like, people see the injury with it, but what happens is, like, you're like, oh, we'll do one day high intensity, one day high volume, but it's like, at the end of the day, you don't calculate for the thousand other things they do incorrectly. So, like, they don't really recover, and then you kind of get that overtraining effect, and I think within the appropriate dose, it's really well. Like, I mean, squatting your athletes once or twice a week, I think it could work, and also doing split squats could work too, but I think a lot of times, you just have to be able to adjust and calculate the load and uh, not be married to what's on your sheet, but be married to what the movement, speed, and frequency your athletes are giving you. So if they're if they're looking slow in that load range, don't be afraid to bump them down. Don't feel like, oh, this is the car they can just grind through today. They're, they're not a weightlifter. They shouldn't really have to grind through it. They should be able to hit it, whether it's hard, but it should always move and look well. And there's no bad reps. I think if you follow the model on your squats, no bad reps, no misses, unless approved by you, the coach, like you're letting your athlete go for a heavy single and you're doing it safely where they know they have a high training age, I think it's extremely safe. That was my rant. So I think one of the most important things, I think it was Dan John, one of his books. I've read uh, most of them, so I forget. But I think one of his rules is no misreps. Yeah. And that's one of the more important things that I've had to shift my, like, mindset to. Because, like, I used to be like, oh, well, you know, if an athlete's feeling good, moving good, looking good, you know, let's let it rip. Let's see what's out there. I am way more of a fan of leaving a few in the tank or a few pounds in the tank 
now more than ever. And I think my athletes have benefited a lot from it, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I mean, as a younger coach, GA, I remember my first semester, he was like, oh, I'm feeling good. We're doing eights with, like, four or five seconds tempo down. And he was just like, can I go up? He's already hitting, like, he's at, like, 315. And I was like, yeah, go up. Next thing I know, he's getting absolutely crushed, and he's dead for, like, the next two days. And that's something I learned. I was like, you know, at the end of the day, like, if you kind of within your range, and, you know, at sometimes, like, you know, if, say, if you're doing a 10 block to start off, man, like, you get three weeks of 10s, you do three sets of 10, two sets of 10. And then that last week is like, you know, coach picks the weight. It's one heavy set of 10 and they get nine. But you're there to spot them and help them the second they start to fail. It's a very safe environment. Or like you see them come up on nine and it's so hard or it's hard, you know, they're not going to come up. Just tell them to cut the set and they got nine, but they, they did their best effort. It's safe. You know what I mean? I like the idea, like how Dan John says, no miss reps. I think he's only, the only way you should miss a rep is like you shouldn't miss a rep in training. But if you do it, it's like a technical aspect. Never for strength reasons. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's a big believer. You should never get in there clean that you don't know if you can stand up. He's like, if you miss that clean, it's because some, something in your technical aspect is off. Like, if you squat, like, he's like, you shouldn't miss a squat. Like, you shouldn't get under the bar not knowing if you're going to get it. He's like, the only time you should miss is in competition. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, I'm a big fan of that. Like, you know, I was like, I'll say about my list today. We were talking earlier. I haven't missed in a while. Granted, like, granted, I'm not moving extremely heavy weight. But I was like, I hate missing reps. And uh, I finally got stuck on my overhead squat. I did, like, 90 for one or two, and I failed the third one. So now, like, I missed it. Then two days later, I went and snatched today, and I was at 70. And for those listeners who don't know, snatching's uh, not so much new to me, but I'm cleaning up a lot of technique. I wasn't great at it. I dealt with some shoulder issues for a while, so I just avoided it. And uh, I kind of worked on the shoulder. I started snatching, and I got to 70, hit it for a single, missed the next rep, went down. So hit 70, missed 70. Hit 68, went back up to 70, missed it again. So I was like, all right, this is clearly close to a one RM for me. So now I'm going to back off, uh, let my ego get out of the way, and go 10 sets of two and do volume. And I'm going to go volume, and every two weeks I'll drop two sets, and I'm going to go volume and add a couple kilos and rebuild up. And I think a lot of times what we see, you might agree with this, Bobby, is whether it's people lifting by themselves or lifting with a trainer or coach, is it's the ego that gets hold where they miss, and they can't lift, they can't stand the fact that they didn't get it. And it's hard to accept that it's your strength. Like, you know what I mean? My snatch is weak. And I wanted to go again and keep going until I got all four reps. But I was like, you know what? I just remember, like, what Dan John says and other people. I was like, my issue right now is, like, I looked at the videos. It wasn't a technique issue. It was my strength, right? I could get under it. The bar was close. I made a couple little errors. But the technique wasn't the reason I was missing it. I wasn't strong enough to stand it up. I'm not ready for it. And I was like, you got one or two options. You either sit there, in my mind, look like an a-hole and keep going for it. Or realize that's where I'm at right now. I just did a like six, seven week cycle, got to 70 kilos, and then do another six to eight week cycle of and start with volume. You know, three weeks of 10 by two, two weeks of 10 by two, two weeks uh, eight by two, going up a couple kilos each week, and magically next time I'll probably get to 75, 80 before I get stuck again. How about you? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So I didn't know. I didn't know you wanted my input too. Sorry. Um, well, the way and the way I, I look at it too is like it, only every once in a while will I really will I really dial something up. But even now, like even now, I just look at it like, dude, I'm not like super duper strong. I'm not. You know, I'm out here lifting so I can hit the golf ball. I moved into some complex stuff this week. Um, you know, all I, all I need is continuous improvement. I don't need to get, like, an absolute number because it's never going to be awesome. I mean, dude, I weigh 160 pounds. Like, 
I'm more mobile than I am strong. Like, it's just not – it's not going to be anything that anyone's going to ever care about. So what does the actual number mean outside of, you know, here's your benchmark, just, you know, work on getting better. And missing yeah. reps is not the way to get better. No, I was pretty mad at myself today for missing those reps. I was just like, that sucks, because I missed Monday, and I was like, oh, technical error, brush it off. And then I missed today, and I was like, yeah, I'm getting to the point probably where, like, because I'm doing linear ascending sets, it's like, I'll probably within, like, the next, like, 10 to 20 kilos get stuck on squat for threes. I was like, probably in the next 10 to 10 kilos, I'll get stuck on my deadlift. And it's just a great time where you'd be surprised where your body, like, heavy, like, I think Stuart McGill is like, you know, the heavy weight has greater tendon and bone adaptation, but it's like when people follow it so they can't do it anymore then back off and go back to more of like a little volume approach where it's more muscle adaptation they realize it's like they can almost you can lift forever if you're smart you know what i mean there's so many factors but i just like i really like that idea and uh that's what i know we went off topic so let's kind of get into our topic now uh when warming up for your squat what are your go-to movements so i always do my core work first uh you know what i'm i'm, I'm going out of order so my first move is always I hit the roller. Sometimes I jump in the normatex, depending on how my legs feel. Um, so in terms, like I always hop on the roller. I do say no more than five rolls, and then yeah. um, and then I get into my core work because I want those. I want my stability to kind of be on point before I get into like my actual lifting. Um, so. I will do my core stuff, and then I warm up for whatever lift I'm doing with the lift that I'm doing. So if I'm deadlifting that day, I start with lighter deadlifts, and I build my way up. Um, if I'm squatting, I work with light squats. I don't – and this also – I it also could be because I am a mobile person. I don't do a ton of mobility stuff. You know, I don't spend – 10 minutes trying to like, you know, mobilize and get ready. Like I, I do my core work. I try to develop some stability and then I just start getting into whatever lift I'm doing that day. And, um, I always build up from there. And that's the stack goes for my squat, my deadlift and my bench press. So now Bobby, with that in mind, my next question would be, uh, you do the same thing for all your lifts. Like, what's your go-to for the squat prep? Like, yeah, example is, like, I'll just go through mine and so you can get an idea of what I'm talking about is. So when I warm up, I, I generally use the same thing almost close to every day. I'll start with um, some specific cat camels, some belly, bre- belly breathing, some cat camels. I'll do hip cars. I'm big into the FRC, so I'll do some controlled articular rotations with uh, an all-four position with the hip, really kind of just maintain the mobility I have. I'll do some hip rocks. Uh, following that, I'll do an active hamstring stretch, like a straight leg raise with uh, a lower, just to kind of get – if you guys who don't know me, uh, Bobby can vouch. I'm actually – I'm very inflexible, I, and I don't have much mobility. Actually, I have good mobility, but I have lack of flexibility, so I'll kind of work on both at the same time. Um, so I'll go through that. Then from there, I definitely – every day I do the big three. I have a modified version of it. I'll do the curl up because I'm already on the ground. Uh I'll do two sets of five seconds ISO bird dogs as hard as I can. Uh, this is for squat and dead too. After that, I'll go in and I'll do uh, uh, I do a front plank hold with shoulder taps. Uh, to kind of work on that front of plane stiffness. And now it's just such muscle memory to me where it kind of – I could be tired, but for some, I've done it so much before I lift where it kind of ramps up my CNS because it knows it's coming. Uh, I'll go through that. 
Then after there, we'll go and do uh, the last one is a rolling plank. If you follow golfers that lift, he has some videos of some rolling planks. Rolling planks, really just get my whole trunk fired up. Uh, and and uh, Stuart McGill has some good research on how it's great to do before you lift. Uh, after that, we'll do some hip airplanes just to get my – just to feel my glutes going. Although, like, I don't believe that your glutes can go to sleep or any of that stuff. But now I, I did it for rehab when I was, after I hit my back a while ago. So now it's just uh, – it's more of a habit than an absolute need. But it makes me feel good. It gets my heart rate going. starts to elevate my CNS. gets me excited. Uh so we'll go through there. Then I go through that. I'll go through a barbell warm up. You know, maybe 10 to 20 reps of just barbell RDL. If I'm deadlifting, paired with uh, barbell or barbell squat, right? Just kind of grease that grease the groove, like Dan John speaks about. Uh, I think that's something a lot of people miss. You know, people, the strongest people in the world, and like I've noticed, is whether it's the strongest Olympic lifters, you know, or the strongest uh, power lifters, take the bar for a ride. You know what I mean? Uh, I think we've talked about that, Bobby. So many people skip over the barbell and just go right to the first weight that they're kind of missing out on a lot of stuff there. Yeah, I mean, I always start with the bar, uh, except for deadlifts, just because it's awkward with no plates there. Um, yeah. But I, I, I start with the bar, and I kind of that, – that's like my – I do a, a high a high rep set with the bar, and that's, you know, that's – you know, then from there, really just depends on the day what I do for weight. And I also like to keep things simple, and I don't, you know, there's no science behind this, but, you know, if I'm going to start at, I don't know, like 155, well, my last warm-up set's probably going to be 135 just because it's simple and um, it's close enough to get me going. Yeah, I agree. So, like, in between my squat warm-ups, so I'll start with the bar, and if I'm just squatting that day, in between my warm-up sets, I really try to hammer home some uh, technique where if you follow mass performance, you'll see I'll do a bottom half squat where I'll go all the way down, halfway up, pull myself deeper in the squat, stand up, really kind of keep a flat back neutral spine, look good. And sometimes I'll do a squat down with a press out to try to just own that end range position. And I'll do maybe like two to three to five reps between my warm-up sets before I get to my work sets. Once I get to my work sets, I don't like to do any uh, more warming up or mobility planning. I just like to focus on what's at hand. Uh, same with the deadlift. So a lot of times with that deadlift, I'll come in and I'll start that deadlift and I'll do the barbell warm-up and I'll do kind of like the plate thing like Bobby said. I'll go maybe the bar, 60 kilos, 80 kilos, 100 kilos, 120. And then after 120, uh, and then after like 120, we'll go into the work. Uh, but with that in mind, uh, I don't I don't bench, so I'm going to skip over that one. But, like, in between my deadlift sets, I'll do what I think I need. Sometimes I'll go and do all four hip rocks. If I feel like my ankle is my limiting factor with what's getting me to full depth, I'll do some ankle mobility, uh, some easy, like, just ankle rocks with, like, put some weight on my knee, drive it forward. If I feel like my hips are tight, I'll sit in a deep squat with a plate in my hand to stay vertical and drive my elbows into my hip, my knees, push against it, and really rock back and forth and open up those hips. I think it's actually a really simple thing to do. And uh, people skip it. And I used to be the same way, but now I'm old, so I have to. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little, so I'm a little different with um, how I get ready and how I get going. Um, I will actually do probably a little bit less. Um, again, it could just be because that, because of the fact that I am a little bit more, more on the mobile side. But you know, if I'm deadlifting. I do my core stuff, and then I get into probably – and squatting and deadlift is more or less the same. You know, I do a little bit of ankles, 
a little bit of I uh, do regular rockbacks, growing rockbacks, and um, I like the hip airplanes too. I think they fit well before one of those days. Um, at least gets you to feel your glutes, which is you know kind of the same thing that you said. Um, and then after that, I'm on the bar. I don't do a ton. I try to keep it to like just a handful of movements. And um, that's sort of where I go with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really simple, guys. Like, warm it up, you know, get your heart rate elevated. Uh, if you're doing something before it, you know, you can always prepare it. Like, it's just really simple. You'd be surprised how it's that big argument, the difference between mobility and flexibility. I think a lot of times the issues people make is they work on flexibility. When you're lifting and you need to achieve certain positions and postures, you need mobility, right? That's just... To me, mobility is the ability to get in that position whenever you want, under load or not under load, with control. Meanwhile, flexibility is the example. That, here's my two examples of that. Is if you know me and you are standing next together, and I can go into a deep squat with a nice, beautiful vertical spine, uh, knees and toes in line and position, I don't look like uh, a rounded snail. Meanwhile, say you or Bobby goes down, and he can get to the same end point, but his back's rounded out, or his heels are popping off the ground. And uh, so he has the flexibility to mimic a deep squat, but he doesn't have the mobility. And when it comes to lifting and athletics, it's that mobility you want. And it's, it's hard to fight because we live in a sitting-down world. So everything we do, is, it's going to tighten our hip flexors. Our low back's going to naturally be tighter because we're always in an extension or flexion. So then if we're in flexion-based, we go into load. We, we extend just to get a little more stability. Uh, our hamstrings are tight because we sit. We don't bend over correctly. And all these other factors. So it's going to lead to just more people being flexible and not mobile. And uh, if you can fix that, a great time to fix that is when you're actually lifting. So, like, if you work on your mobility before, right, during your lift, and you increase that range of motion and squat to it, now that you're providing the central nervous system the ability to handle load through a new range of motion, you can get greater access to it. Because, remember, if your body's not letting you get to a certain area of, say, an example is, like, you want to squat butt the calf, and you have the mobility, you have the natural God-given talent to be there, but now you can't, a lot of times your body is going to limit that range of motion to what it perceives as safe because it feels a lack of control or a lack of mobility in that area. So uh, that's just something to keep in mind. I know uh, Bobby will agree with that most likely. Yeah. And the other big thing I see is people waste their time. You know, I see people, they're on the roller for 15 minutes. They're getting a band to do who the hell knows what kind of mobility stuff for another 15 minutes. And then they go into their whole dynamic warm-up, which, you know, some people will do for, like, 20 minutes. So, hold on. So, I think I'm close to an hour before anyone's even touched a weight. And then they get the bar and they go into their lighter stuff, you know, groove the pattern, all those things. Which, inherently, there's nothing wrong with any piece that, you know, I just put out there. But, you know, if that's your warm-up, holy crap, that just takes a long time. That's a long time to be doing that stuff. And it, I don't think it has to be that long. And I don't think there's anything, there's nothing wrong with rolling, mobility, warm up, dynamic warm up. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But at some point, we need to be like, hey, you know, enough's enough. Like, you need to, like, actually get into your workout. My God, yeah. sometimes, dude. I agree. I definitely can, uh, see what you're talking about i feel like the biggest issue is like people you know they feel good on the foam roller i'm not a proponent at all of the foam roller before i lift i'm one of the other ones where i like to feel super tight before i train so i don't like getting i don't like feeling loose i know everyone's different uh some people like to feel loose and then they'll tighten up when they lift but i'm one of those where like if i'm tight and i can't like it sounds strange is my best squat days ever even when i was younger now or deadlifting days uh 
or like squatting, like to me was when I couldn't like get as deep as I wanted to go until I could hit like maybe like I needed like a hundred kilos and I could be like uh sitting down pretty much in the squat. I like to feel tight. And it's just a weird thing. I just feel like I lift better. Uh if you ever watch me lift, not that I'm super explosive, but it's like that's why I do my warm up the way I do. I kind of I'm more a little uh springy where like you can tell I, I rely I think on tendons a little more. Like if you watch the clean when I pop up, I'll bounce and I'll ride the bounce up. Or when I squat, I'll come out of the come out of the hole really fast and then get stuck halfway up. And that's an issue I'm working on. Like, I understand. It's not great. But I think – and it's also going to be based on how you squat. Like, if you watch Bobby squat, he's a little more controlled. Like, he doesn't really rely on any stretch reflex to get out of the hole. It's all slow controlled down, slow controlled up. He doesn't bounce. Meanwhile, like I, like I say, if you watch some of our videos on mass performance that we posted talking about the squat, you'll see me. I get about – I'll go all the way down, and then I get halfway up, and you'll see almost every rep, no matter what, I get stuck because I – I just kind of bounce. I don't know if that's like off. If that makes sense, I don't know how you could explain that any better. Yeah, I'm not going to try to. Did you get um, what I was saying, or was I kind of off topic there? Uh, well, I think it, I think well, <laughs> I think it got off topic, but it doesn't mean you're wrong. Yeah, but I was just like, I, I guess what I'd say is also take into mind like stuff like that is going to affect what you need to do to warm up. Absolutely. It absolutely and, does. Um, and like when we get yeah, to those positions, also, what's up? Keep going. No, I was just gonna say it's it's like in you know, if if you if you are a lifter or you have an athlete and it takes them all these feats of mobilizing and rolling and stretching and it takes them forever just to get loose to squatting, then you need to look. You need to look something. Something's not right. You got to look at the whole picture. What's wrong here? Is this person hurt? Is this person injured? Are they dealing with something? Um, do we have to like, you know, again, look at like what the hell is going on? Because no one that's like going to, you know, get in the gym and have a good workout or anything should really, really need like an entire dedicated recovery session just to get right. If it's not their job, like if they're not an Olympic lifter for a job where like, you know, you know, part of their work, quote unquote, work day is like, hey, there's some recovery stuff. I mean, people should be able to like kind of get going in 15 minutes or less. Yeah, I agree. I think it shouldn't take that long. I think you know, 10, 15 minutes is the perfect cutoff. Um, other things you can do for your warm up now that we're actually kind of we're rolling and we're on topic is uh, you can do the deep squat. You can also do earlier in the day, like you know, stretching isn't necessarily bad, but I'd recommend doing it earlier. Uh, other things you can do if you really struggle with your warm-up is in between, kind of get in those squats, those positions you want, make sure you're anatomically perfect, and do some ISO holds. So, like, that's what FRC is built off. They, they'll do it. It's almost like do, FRC, simply put, is the functional range conditioning, and I recommend everyone looks it up because, you know, they do a great job of uh, kind of under, explaining better the difference between mobility and flexibility. They think people need both, but it's a continuum. They think you need to be able to reach that range of motion, but then they'll use isometrics and other various methods where you hold and create tension so your body learns how to control that position. And, um, you know, I've seen some people work it really well where uh, some, some strength coaches in college and private sector will have their athletes lift three, four days a week, and then they have two days a week where they come in and work on their mobility. They don't do it all together on the same day, but it's always what works for you. Exactly. And then, so something else that um, that I've noticed change, changes my warm-up in a way so if I, because like currently right now I'm doing, um, or I actually just finished a phase where I was doing um, some jumping. So I had 
like one day I was doing loaded jumps, another day I was doing like depth to a box, and then a third day I was actually doing a squat jump complex, uh, loaded unloaded. And I found on the days that I was doing those things, um, because they're short range of motion activities, I didn't feel like I needed to really like loosen up all that hard for them. But they also kind of helped me get warmed up so that the exercise that followed, I didn't feel so lost when I like stepped into that first one. So if you're doing stuff like that, like if you're doing kettlebell swings or you're jumping, um, even like some low level cleans, and like you're starting with that stuff and like using it for speed and power development and not, you know, grinding away on percentage work and stuff. Um, you have to remember that stuff too, because that's going to change, you know, the rest of your warm up because you can't do all, like a ton, a ton of mobilizing and all this recovery stuff to then try to produce high force. Um, you have to do like your high force stuff, but then by the time you finish that, you should feel pretty good, pretty loose. Like things should be firing. And then maybe you don't need such a long warm up when it comes time to get into like your heavy lift of the day. No, I agree 100%. Uh, I wish I could add more to that. Uh, let's just sum up with uh, what's going on with your training, Bobby. Now that we've we talked about squats, let's just uh, see what have you been up to. I'm in a complex phase for the first time in I don't even I literally don't even know how long, and frankly, it's kicking the crap out of me right now. It's like cardio. Nah, not even. It's just uh, like I did. So I did broad jumps on Monday. For the, and that's the first time I did them, and again, I don't even know how long outside of, you know, demos, and my anterior core is so sore, it is unbelievable. I'm actually, like, it actually surprised me how friggin' sore I am just from doing that. I went to demo a body saw yesterday and almost started crying right in front of one of the kids. Like, uh, my lord. I'm not a crier, you're a crier. Um <laughs> But no, so I'm doing some complex stuff. We're gonna see how it how it goes. I just this is like phase six of like my actual programmed off season. Hopefully by the end of this phase I'll be playing some golf and we'll see. Yeah. I've been up in the um I've been up in the simulator trying to learn how to swing a little bit harder. And like I can produce it, but now it's like a mental thing of if I can actually like swing harder. So I think the, the, this and again, this is the first off season where I've actually dedicated myself to like actually improving my power output. Yeah. So it's gonna be there. Now I just need to reinforce it somehow, some way. Yeah, that makes sense. You got golf season coming up, so you know what I'm saying. Yep. Also, I moved back to the hex, uh, the straight bar from the hex bar on after Monday. I made, after I made fun of you for a while. Yes. Continue. Well, I told you. I told you. I had five phases, and I probably get back to it. Look at that. I'm back to it. Uh, yeah. So from my probably the TL junction and up through my traps, rhomboids, all that, they are like unbelievably sore. Like, oh my god! <laughs> That's like, oh yeah, I forgot. This is what happens when you, you know change your pattern. No, this is little friendly reminders. Yeah, I understand completely. Uh, so what I was gonna say uh, for me, uh, my program has been pretty consistent. I was just doing the linear progression ascending sets. Um, my goal is I'm going to run that, like I was talking about earlier, you know, snatch. The biggest ones I'm worried about are snatch, uh, snatch, clean, snatch, clean, squat, deadlift, and overhead squat were my kind of five KPIs, those key performance ones I was wondering. And uh, the goal is I'm going to go until I can't do it, right, until I miss. 
And once I missed, I'm going to take an example as you know, say uh, today's smash, I hit 70 for a single, missed, went down, made it, went up, missed, so on and so forth. So 70 that, I'm going to take 70% of whatever weight I finally missed, so I can't hit three reps at. Um, and obviously, I'll figure out what the 1RM is, so whatever. Uh, whatever the one estimated 1RM off that is, take that, find 70% of that number, and I'm going to start with uh, volume. And so, like, for my snatch and overhead squat, my snatch, I got two weeks of 10 by 2 coming up. After that, I got two weeks to eight by two, two weeks to six by two, two weeks to four by two, two weeks to two by two. So you can see I'm just going to progress again with some volume, add a couple kilos each week. Then the overhead squats is going to kill me because it's 10 sets of three for two weeks, eight sets of three, six sets of three. Uh, just some true volume work and now a true linear progression based off a of true 1RM. So I expect at the end probably to add at least like 10 to 15 more kilos on some of those strength movements after that uh, whole volume linear progression and on the snatch I expect to add at least like 10 and hopefully it works out I hope it works out too because that's going to be a real pain in the ass for you if it doesn't um, you know I think starting at 70% an example on the snatch so my snatch estimated one RM is about 70 right so 70% is about 53 kilos so oh, week one be, is it's going to feel so easy yeah so 50 but the volume is what's going to get me the next day so it's two weeks First week is 53, flat loaded. Next week, I'm going to go up three kilos to 56 for 10 again. Then I'll do eight by two at uh, 60. Then I'll do eight by two again, at maybe if it continues perfectly, 62 to 63. Then I'll go six by two at 65 to 66. Six by two again from like 65 to 66 to uh, like 67, 68 in theory. Never know. It, I think it will work because as my technique improves, it'll be easier. And then I'll be four by two. Hopefully, my goal is around 70, right? So I'll be doing four sets of two at 70, uh, then 72, then 75, and so on and so forth. I, I think it, it, it should make sense, but I could adjust based off what it is. But at the end of the day, as the beginning, like Olympic lifter, with those movements, I, I, volume has some really great effects, you'd find out, if you're close to that max. Yes, and I also really like that you're going to go, like, eight sets of three to get your volume and not doing something stupid like, you know, five sets of six or something like that. Yeah, with the with the Olympic lifts, I'll, I'll generally keep it to two, and if I do three, it's always a cluster where I'll do one rep, put it down, uh, step back, take, like, five, six seconds, go back up, uh, especially with just the injury history I have so much. Like, I do the same with my squats. So when I do my – like, when my, my back squat linear – true linear progression runs out, I'm going to go volume exact same as the overhead squats. I'll go ten by three. I used to do 3 by 10 but just with the injury history, I noticed uh, if I just cut the rest short on my sets and just do three reps at a time, I get a better movement quality and I feel better, and I kind of get similar effects. Granted, it's not the same time under tension right away, but I have the same total load of 30 reps. So I'll do two weeks of 30 reps, and after that, two weeks of 24 reps, and I'll just do the same thing, just add in like, you know, three to five kilos and last three to five kilos each week on a uh, straight linear progression. And in theory, you know, when I get back down to like two by three, I should be maybe, I should be above or equal to whatever I was. That's good. No, I like it. I definitely like it. It's not something I've played around with a lot, but when I do end this phase, I'm probably like when I, you know, do go back to like a, uh, like a volume type thing, I'm probably not going to move to like a sets of eights, sets of sixes, things like that. Because, um, frankly, I just don't try hard enough to actually do them. Yeah. So, well, I, just I, like I know me doesn't make, doesn't make it a good thing, but at least that, that way I can get the volume in 
I can, you know, keep the load appropriate, and I'll probably actually do it. Yeah. I just figured with me, uh, a lot of times, since I was, like, coming back from the shoulder issues, the back issues where I did heavy split squats and did all this other stuff instead of the regular bilateral movements, I was like, it's, you know, taken, like, just maybe, like, six to eight weeks and going through a true linear progression, ascending sets, go until it runs out. Because, I mean, I, granted, I consider myself maybe just novice uh, now. But when I started, I was like, I'm just a beginner. Like, I haven't done this in so long. So I figured I'd just restart it. And after I restart it, run it, get a kind of uh, estimated 1RM, and then just do that roller range. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, go, go to 70 or 80, 70%, start there, and now it's a true – it's like a true linear progression, flat-loaded linear progression, where I'm going to just get some volume in, and I'm going up a couple kilos each week, start at 70, whatever, and I feel like it, it'll do its, its wonders. And then after that, then I might have to go into just more some true Olympic-style programming, uh, more Olympic lifting-based to kind of get the needs I want. But I was like, I'm so young and so novice, and uh, I need volume and I need some intensity, but I also need a lot of reps. Yep. Nope, good way. Good. I like. I like where you're going with that. Good way to go about it. And the thought of doing deadlifts for ten just kills me. No, I would never do such a thing. Well, on, to be truthful, right now, dude, three by ten, uh, ten by three is probably gonna kill me. Yeah, it's gonna be pretty shitty. I will say. Yeah, I think I get sixty seconds, sixty to ninety seconds rest between sets. Or I mean, whatever. It's natural because I mean, I don't like per se. Like I lift like you. I only have. I do like four things a day. If so, it's not gonna be too bad. Like. You know what I mean? We talk about this, but day one, I do uh, clean, overhead squat, smash grip, push press, and pull-ups. It's very taxing, I might add. Well, yeah, if you put enough effort into it. Yeah, then I think I come in Tuesday, I get, like, uh, technique snatches. Uh, like, you know what I mean? I do, like, some position one technique snatch, uh, a single leg exercise, push-ups, and that's it. You know, it's not nothing crazy in a carry. I like it. All right, yeah, man. Uh, do you have anything you want to add before we kind of wrap up this episode? No, I just got to uh, – I'm going to test the kid in a few minutes, and if I could – God forbid I could get him to put any effort into this thing, his uh, his numbers are going to go through the roof. But whether he'll try or not, it's a completely different story. That's always a mystery. All right, guys, I want to say uh, thank you for listening. This is the Mass Performance Podcast. This is uh, – we're coming up on Episode 10. So if you have anything you want us to add, please like, subscribe, review. And we promise we're going to do a better job of posting this consistently. I always expect one to two posts per week. 